Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Untold Story. I'm Martha McCallum. Joining me today is Kellyanne Conway, former senior counselor to President Trump and campaign manager of the 2016 campaign, author of Here's the Deal and co-founder of KAC Consulting. We were just on set on Saturday night covering the South Carolina primaries and a lot uh, has, you know, developed over the past 24 hours or so. And I wanted to dig right in. Kellyanne, welcome. Great to have you with us. Oh, thank you so much, Martha. Pleasure. We, we always love having you on the set and um, discussing these big nights with us because you have so much insight and so much background in all of this. So, you know, now that you've sort of digested a little bit of, of South Carolina and, and heard some of what has um, been happening since then, what do you make of it? What's your takeaway? The takeaway, I would say two things, Martha. One is everything that's obvious for each of us to see with our own two eyes, which is that President Trump continues to dominate as the quasi-incumbent, always evergreen insurgent. I think people are still looking for an outsider, but one with a presidential record. Now, who and what is he dominating? He's dominating over his remaining opponent, Nikki Haley. And we may have been paying a little too much attention to her, not to be rude, but she's now lost in every contest. And actually, President Trump is the first non-incumbent to win both Iowa and New Hampshire. Now he's added Nevada and South Carolina to that. He's swept all four. I think with the exit of the Coke Industries money, American for Prosperity money, and some other donors recently telling her no, or let's wait and see what happens um, before stroking another check, is probably the beginning of the end for Nikki Haley's campaign. Um, She should hold her head high. It's a free country. It takes a lot of Metal, M-E-T-T-L-E, and metal, M-E-T-A-L, to run for president of the United States. And I think she would have a great role in helping to unify the party and bring into it and keep into it some of these voters, including 40% in her own state of South Carolina this weekend, Martha, who wanted her over Trump. Um, She's a close personal friend of Jared and Ivanka, so... I don't think that's gotten enough coverage, frankly, and this can't be totally comfortable for everyone. But it does tell you how sort of nested she was into all things Trump administration while there. Um, The other thing that maybe isn't as easy to see is that we have two things going on here on the Republican side. One is, on the one hand, Donald Trump will, he's on a glide path to clinch the nomination probably six weeks earlier than he did in 2016. But people, Martha, are going to be voting six weeks earlier than they did in 2016. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure it buys much time. And I think with some of these changes at the RNC coming, um, there's going to, people are going to have to be quick studies and work really hard to make sure that they, um, that they, keep what's working there and that they build on what they think is not working there. But the Democrats in the meantime own the mechanics. And I fear that he who owns the mechanics owns the election cycle, that you just can't make up these deficits on election day when your opponent has such a strong advantage, particularly up and down the ballot. I'd say the Senate races and some of the House races predominantly. If your opponent is banking all this vote advantage against you for the four or five, six, in some places, two or three weeks where you can vote early, it's just almost impossible for you to make up some of these deficits on election day. That's the one thing that keeps me up at night about this election cycle. Okay, there's a lot there, obviously. Um, so let's let's go through it a little bit at a time because I, I think the voting mechanics that you just touched on is a huge story. Um, so actually, why don't we start there? What do you mean when you say that Democrats own the mechanics? 
they just seem to have this huge advantage in money and manpower and probably even message and discipline with respect to what's become the new normal, Martha. Uh, the early voting, drop box voting, mail-in voting, vote early at the polls, vote early by mail, legal ballot harvesting. And to their credit, the RNC did start this bank your vote program last year that President Trump endorsed. And from what I just see in the news, it does have, you know, it's a serious, well-funded, well-heeled operation. So at least someone's trying to compete. But it all reminds me of where the Republican Party was, say, 15 almost 20 years ago, when the Democrats started using technology to raise money and to communicate with voters. So Howard Dean in 2004 famously raised all this money online. It was unheard of at the time. Now it's like you and I talking about the weather, right? It's unheard of. And then Barack Obama as the nominee in 2008 announced Joe Biden by text. I remember... Yeah, You know, I, I just had a baby and my then husband ran in and said, you're not going to believe it. He picked Joe Biden. He picked Joe Biden. He was waving his phone at me. I was taking nice waving his phone saying he picked Joe Biden, meaning I got it by text. So these right. were all unheard of. And the Republicans had to play catch up. Now I feel like Republicans have done a very decent job on data and digital and technological infrastructures. But here we are now trying to play catch up on early vote. And uh, President Trump knows how I feel when he stands up and says, don't vote by mail, hang on to your ballot. I think he's losing votes for himself when he does that, especially this he year. He doesn't this say cycle. that anymore, though, does he? He doesn't say it anymore. He said something similar to uh, something close to that to our Laura Ingram last week in the town hall, something the effect of, you know, voter fraud is possible, which is true. It's something he raises um, uh, spontaneously. And so I, I feel like we're going to play catch up. But here's what I would ask the state parties to do. Think really long and hard about how you're spending your money. Forget about flowers and fancy desserts at your events. Forget about paying speakers mm-hmm. to come in. You really need to invest, Martha, in what I call the non-sexy parts of politics, the grunt work, the grind, the mechanics. It's not just message messenger. It's delivery system. And we need to start doing that on our own. Um, there's a certain comfort level to create among some rank-and-file Republican voters, particularly our older voters, who just don't like this so-called new normal of early voting. I don't blame them. I'm old and old-fashioned. I go into Bergen County, New Jersey on Election Day and cast my ballot in person. But guess what? That's now not the way. And and, and as time marches on, Martha, that's not the way most people will be casting their ballots. I mean, look at our uh, young Americans. Many of them maybe will never even walk into a polling place. But there's a lot going on and still conversations about voter ID. Um, Even this past Saturday night when we were on set, at Fox headquarters in New York, waiting for the returns to come in. And we're asking Bill Hemmer on and off camera, where are the returns? Where's the early vote? Why why didn't his billboard start at like 13%, the early vote? And you have to ask yourself, wow, you know, South Carolina, all eyes are going to be on them. It's a very well-run state. Why can't we find out within an hour or two who won the election? Some states do it really well. Oregon does it well. Florida does it well. Georgia does it well. Yeah. I, I mean, I think what you're talking about is so important. And and we've done a few stories on um, ballot harvesting and the levers that are used to run up the Democrat voting numbers in legitimate ways based on the rules that are out there. And I think that, you know, there are federal get out the vote dollars 
that are being very focused in areas where there's a heavy Democrat presence. And that's a game that can be played on the up and up. But it, if you play it well, you are going to turn out more voters. And and I think that there's not enough discussion on that, on you know your side of the equation from Republicans in terms of people we interview and talk to. It, it is not emphasized in the way that it is on the Democrat side. And I think, you know, I, I think p- potentially to the peril of Republicans. So this um, kind of takes me to another subject that I wanted to talk to you about, which is the changing of the guard at the RNC. And, you know, is the message that you are talking about, the gritty part of politics, turning out voters, going to change under this new regime? And will you play a role in it? Well, I certainly hope that they, whoever now takes over the RNC, if it's Watley and Laura Trump, and I think Chris LaCivita will be in the mix as director of operations, if in fact that's what is approved, particularly the first two spots, that goes to a vote of the 168. Who are the 168? These are the National Committee man, National Committee woman, and the executive director of the state GOP party of the state party, Martha, and all 50 states, D.C., the territories, et cetera. So you come up with 168. That's it. End of story. President Trump doesn't vote. I don't vote. You don't vote. No one else votes in this. It's the 168 who control who the chair and the co-chair of the RNC are. So that is going to happen at the meeting that was already called the regular quarterly meeting. I believe it's in Houston, the site of the 2028 convention, by the way, um, in, in March 8th or so. So I hope that what happens at the RNC is that they do not throw away what's already been done and invest in. I don't can't imagine they will. The infrastructure is there. Watley is currently the general counsel of the RNC, so he knows this. He's been a big part of it. He's been a big part of the election integrity unit that's been stood up. He's been a big part of the 73 lawsuits the RNC has filed to try to get clarity on some rules. Offensively and defensively, they fired. They have filed these election integrity lawsuits, and then of course this whole bank your vote. Which, again, I read in the paper the success of the bank year vote, how many people they've been able to um, register. And, and in addition, and convince like, hey, we want your vote in September, October when we can get it. And I like to say, we're taking a chance, grandpa can get out of the bathroom, let alone out of the house on election day. Why wouldn't you want his vote in October when you can get it? Now, I think the whole thing is a pro-incumbent um, boondoggle and particularly down ballot and particularly maybe in the house where you don't have the money to compete as much if you're a challenger or it's an open seat, Martha, in that it's challengers who get the money last minute who are able to go into the debates. And in our great direct democracy, constitutional republic, you, the voter, have the opportunity to poke the fruit, to suss out who really shares your values and your vision for you and your household. Um, if we if we have all this early voting, it really does help incumbents because they're known the best. They're always going to have the deepest pockets. So that aside, um, I ho- I've heard Laura Trump say publicly that she's going to have a legal ballot harvesting if she's the co-chair of the RNC. That's great. I'm going to get people to vote early. Wonderful. That's already being done, so perhaps they'll build on it. And I think to have um, President Trump's imprimatur on the entire exercise is incredibly important. You know, Ron McDaniel was his hand-picked RNC chair. I was there when other people were competing for that job. And Oh, gosh, you want their names? Um, You know, Nick Ayers and Chris Christie and other people were being, uh, I think Mercedes and Matt Schlapp at the time said, you know, you can hire us both together as as a team. A lot of people wanted to be the head of the RNC. It was offered to me at the time. I said no, uh, as was press secretary. I just can't do things I'm not good at. Um, And there are many. So... (laughs) 
uh, I'll never ski again. I broke my jaw. So uh, anyhow, the, the point is that I think that President Trump and Ronna McDaniel together built a more modern, data-driven, technologically sound um, election integrity slash expand new voters, go into blue states, RNC, and they did that together. And if the time's up for them no longer to work together, that's fine. Uh, but this is a different party than it was, Martha, when President Trump was elected. It's a different party than the Ryan's previous regime and the and, you know era and the ones before that. It's it's doesn't the party doesn't belong to any one person, but it's President Trump who has said forgotten man, forgotten woman who now feel invisible, if not preferred. Uh, they, they feel that migrants are preferred to them in school, in schools in New York City, for example, or in getting credit cards directly from the local, state and federal government, perhaps that it's a party where he has been able to expand the reach um, of the Republican Party into more African-Americans, Asian-Americans, certainly Hispanic-Americans and particularly males in all three of those groups. It's one where he is dominating among political independents in most polls. It's one where he can do better among women. He could do better among young people than the average Republican presidential candidate, not get a majority of either of those, but still win the election. And I and one thing I like that the RNC has done well, in my view, and they've been a client for years, so just in full disclosure, but one thing I like that they've done really well is rapid response, you know, finding those clips of Joe Biden when he was a senator, saying mm -hmm. super predator, saying he was pro-life, saying he was for the Second Amendment, saying that he didn't want um, the wrong people to go to school with his kids. Like they've just done a great job with rapid response, reminding everybody what the Democrats have said up and down the ballot. But look, I would rather be the Republican Party than the Democratic Party in 2024. The Democratic Party has lost its moorings, in my view, and it's very great advantage, Martha, on being the party that looked like it elevated and elected young outsider, fresh faces, new blood candidates to the presidency, JFK, certainly, and then uh, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, Martha, Jimmy mm -hmm. Carter, God bless him, he's 99 now, but he was 52. He was a young yep. man when he was elected. And now yep. they've got Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden as their standard bearers. So I feel like it's a great time for the Republican Party to just dip right in and go and get people who feel that the Democratic Party has abandoned them, the union households, maybe the marginally pro-life Democrats, like the ones I grew up around or pro-Second Amendment, the union guys I grew up with, they feel like the Democratic Party is unrecognizable. It's a great time to just swoop right in and start bringing some of them over. And I think Trump and frankly, Ron at the RNC have done that. The Untold Story continues right after this. It's worth noting that President Trump's only a few years younger than than Joe Biden. And the argument that Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis and others made was, you know, that they felt the president did a great job, but it was time for new leadership. But it doesn't look like that's the choice that the voters are making. It looks like they want to stay with um, with the former president. Um, what about those voters who have shown up in the primaries that we've had so far who say that they will not vote for President Trump. We know history tells us that, you know, people come around uh, once the nominees are picked. But are you concerned about that as someone who supports him? And how would you advise him to expand his his base, to expand the people who support him? Yep, I'm always concerned about that because, as I like to say, Martha, politics is not about biology or chemistry. It's about math and science. You just have to have more electoral votes than the other people, which is why I question some of these third-party attempts. They're, again, welcome to do it, free country, go and qualify for the ballot and run, but what state can you actually win? 
what state with no labels, whoever their ticket is. And so far, they're talking to people who are very labeled, Martha McCallum. They're senators, they're governors. It's like, you know, Joe Manchin's right. a very nice person. I know him and Gail and their daughter, Heather's a very nice person. I enjoy their company. He's labeled. He's a senator and a former governor. His day job is in Washington. So, but again, are you winning Wisconsin and getting its 10 delegates? Are you winning Pennsylvania, getting its 20 delegates? Are you, what state are you actually winning? Because it's easy to be a spoiler. On the electorate side, Martha, it's far easier for any of us, all of us, to be a protest thinker than an actual protest voter, because you have to think long and hard about who you're sending to the White House and not just what message you're sending to your own. If you don't vote, that is your right. Your right to do something also includes your right to refrain from doing it. If you don't vote, you may be turning the election back over to Joe Biden. He and Kamala Harris are already there. They have an, they have the incumbent's advantage, and it's a significant one. And I think without COVID and some of the George Floyd unrest in 2020, President Trump would have had those natural advantages of incumbency also. But it's a natural advantage. So if you are so upset with Trump about the court cases or his personality or you really wanted Nikki or he wasn't as nice to DeSantis, it wasn't as nice to him and so on and so forth. Again, it's a free country. You can think as you want, but think about the absence of your vote this time around and how in the end... I think President Biden probably will get some of those African-American voters, Hispanic voters, union households who currently say, I'm mad at Biden. I disapprove of his job. I don't like him personally. I'm upset with the Democratic Party, but they have to leap over to Trump. I think most voters will come home on both sides. The question is what happens to that 8, 10, 12 percent of each block that are Mm -hmm. truly fence sitters, truly fence sitters, Martha, because as you and I have discussed, and I know you had the book out in front of you in New Hampshire also, it's fascinating. We discussed like we don't fit into these boxes anymore, everybody. People are choosing where to live. You're you're like a native New York. I love New York, big city. Now you live in North Carolina or Florida or Texas for any number of reasons post-COVID. The weather, the taxes, the life, the cost of living, whatever reasons it is. And so we don't fit into these neat boxes. And in fact, we Americans, thankfully, resist when the professionals try to talk to us by race and gender and religion and socioeconomic status and geography only. So my advice to President Trump is what it always is. More insights, fewer insults. Remind people with specifics of what your record was, particularly 2019 and before COVID in 2020. So I caution people all the time. Don't say, are you better off than you were four years ago? Martha, who is better off than they were four years ago? I hope pretty much almost all of us because four years ago, COVID was just happening. So the point is, don't take that risk. Just say, was your life, was it, did you feel safer, more prosperous, more secure, that things were more fair, more stable with Trump as your president or with Biden as your president? That's an easier question for people to answer. And even yeah. if they say, but, you know, it's even if they circumstance, say, but. obviously, um, in terms of the four year measure and um, it, it's a good it's a good question. Last question is one that I know we're going to be talking about for some time to come, even though uh, former President Trump said, oh, the vice president doesn't really matter all that much when people vote. In this case, it is a little different because he's running for a four year term. So that person is someone for some of these non-Trump voters who might get them over the hump to to vote for him. Um, who do you think the best choices would be? And can you imagine any scenario where Nikki Haley would be considered given all of the water that has gone under the bridge in the past few months between them? 
Sure. So I wrote an op-ed in the New York Times two weeks ago, two Sundays ago. People can pull it up. It's called Who Should Be Trump's Number Two? And I lay out, Martha, that it's always smart to come up with a job description. And the one for Mike Pence in 2016 is fundamentally different than the one for President Trump's number two in 2024. This time, I think it needs to be a combination of somebody who helps him win, to your point, also helps him govern, and then somebody who can be ready on day one. And you can say, well, that's always the case, Kelly. But I'm saying this is what's on voters' mind. And the day one folks are folks like Pompeo or Tom Cotton or Marco Rubio, a few others. If he's going to go for a woman, I don't think he needs to. I think this country pays the consequence and the cost every single day of Biden insisting he needed a woman, needed a woman, needed a woman. Sounded like a sophomore boy at the end of a frat party, you know, at the end on a, in the frat house on a Saturday night keg party. I need a woman. I need a woman. It's a terrible way to, to pick a vice president. But if he wants to do that, he can look at Joni Ernst, Senator Joni Ernst. He can look at Senator Marsha Blackburn. If he wants to go younger, he can look at... Um, Certainly, uh, Katie Britt of Alabama, et cetera. Uh, and I know he's looking at Christina and the governor of South Dakota. But I do think he should pick a person of color. That's where I am right now. I think that President Trump is on track to expand the base, not just Trump's base, but the base of the Republican Party electorate in a presidential year. Not that many years passed when we had our first African-American president. And to expand it into those constituencies that have been more difficult to reach and convince for your standard Republican candidates um, over time and to and to trust them to, to not have special messages for them, to trust that they're hearing what everybody else is hearing and that they want what everybody else wants, which is prosperity and opportunity, fairness, safety, security, which comes in many different ways. So I know um, Tim Scott is auditioning hard for the role. Again, there's a for the aforementioned Marco Rubio. There are a couple insider Trump world favorites right now. And that's what I would call, Martha, the Dick Cheney model. So here's someone, as was for um, Governor George W. Bush in 2000 in his selection, here's somebody's not going to compete with you. They're going to help you. They don't have their eye on the prize for eight years down the line. In this case, Martha, it's four years down the line. You can be right, the next exactly. president of the United States for eight more years. And so the Dick Cheney model means it's Ben Carson or it's Newt Gingrich or it's just somebody who's not going to compete in that way. But someone is a little, you know, above the fray. You have a good, close personal relationship with them. Everyone would accept them. Then you're not saying, well, you're going to help me win a certain state. So my my idea with Pence in 2016 was not just, oh, evangelical and the Federalist Society kind of people, you know, who know you're going to fill Antonin Scalia's seat will feel great. It was also, here's a guy who was in Washington but never became a Washington. Most important with Pence, though, was geography. I, I knew that Hillary Clinton's um, blue wall was real and to penetrate it, you really should have somebody from that area. So it would be Scott Walker, John Kasich, maybe Terry Branstead of uh, Iowa, certainly got to look at Mike Pence of Indiana at the time. And that was very helpful. He helped us win. This time, I think you're going to look at all this. And it also, Martha, I think an affirmative criterion for President Trump, I've told him this personally, I wrote it in the New York Times, I bet anybody can pull it, is that it should be somebody who can speak with passion, conviction, and compassion when it comes to what we know will continue to be a big issue in this cycle, abortion. So, of course, President Trump is pro-life. He's going to pick somebody who's pro-life. 
but it needs to be somebody who's not hiding under the desk, like an ostrich. It needs to be somebody who's a peacock and proud of being pro-life and explains what that means in 2024 and frankly, what it means to be pro-choice in 2024. And there are different ways to do this. I've got to tell you, if I just wanted people to pull up a video clip and watch some great debate performances in the 2022 cycle where we had terrible performances on abortion by Republicans, um, you had Marco Rubio against Val Demings, African-American woman, former congresswoman from the Orlando area and the former police chief for Orlando. Yeah. Very serious player. He did an excellent job on the issue of abortion. You could pull the debate clip. And the other person who did an excellent job is J.D. Vance in Ohio against who I thought was the most formidable Democratic candidate for Senate in 2022, Martha Tim Ryan, Democrat of Ohio. So there are ways to do this, to bring in a combination of facts, figures, smoke out the left. Be compassionate, recognize that every pregnancy involves a woman and a baby and, and go from there. So this is something um, I think. So you're saying, Nikki Haley, I did write in that op-ed that, you know, you often give a look to the runners up. Right. This is how George Herbert Walker Bush got selected by by Ronald Reagan, for example. Sure. You give a look to the runners up. And um, in this case, I just think the performance so far will certainly have DeSantis, I think, would take him out of the mix. Uh, it's, it's I'm not being rude when I say what would he bring if he could make that case. That's great. And then Nikki Haley, if you look at who's voting for her in places like New Hampshire and South Carolina, which were her, I think, number one and number two best best states for her to really dent Trump let alone beat him, and she failed to do that. It's because she's bringing over not just independents, but Democrats. And I feel like so many of them are going to vote for Biden. I feel like our Fox News voter analysis did show among the Democrats on Saturday who voted for Nikki Haley in South Carolina, they by and large are already saying, they're admitting that they're going to go back to Biden. I'd love to see her on the campaign trail to help Trump. I'd love to see what her offer is on the table about what she would bring to the ticket. Um, and fortunately, fortunately, Martha, women in this country don't just vote for women because they're women. It matters to us. It's, quote, interesting and eye-popping that you share our gender in politics, but we really want you to share our vision and our values. It's going to be very interesting uh, to see who that pick is. And as I say, it, um, it is important, I think, this time for those two reasons, because he's a four-year president if he wins and because there are, you know, there's that percentage, 35, 38, whatever you want to call it, of people who say that they will not vote for him, who potentially might be convinced if they like the whole ticket and the look four years down the road. So we will see. Um, Kellyanne, thank you so much. It's always great to to bend your ear and uh, hear your insights into all of this. And I look forward to talking with you over the next nine months because it's going to get even more interesting. Absolutely. Martha, you raised the bar for the rest of us. Thank you for having me. Take care. Thank you, Kellyanne. Kellyanne Conway. My thanks to her. And we look forward to seeing you next time on The Untold Story. I'm Martha McCallum. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.